Welcome back to the Divine Discourses podcast. In this season, we are embarking on a journey to unravel the profound mysteries of the doctrine of the Trinity. I'm your host, Jacob Nanny, and today we continue our exploration into the heart of one of Christianity's most profound teachings, the doctrine of the Trinity. Episode 2, Biblical Foundations of the Trinity. In our previous episode, we introduced the concept of the Trinity, one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We also pointed out that this doctrine was not explicitly mentioned in the Old Testament, but was concealed within its pages, waiting to be fully revealed in the New Testament. Today, we are delving into the biblical foundations of this doctrine. Remember, the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. Instead, the doctrine is interwoven throughout the tapestry of Scripture. So let's dive in and explore how. There's no better place to start than the beginning. The Trinity is a doctrine seamlessly woven throughout Scripture. While the Old Testament may not explicitly mention Jesus or the Holy Spirit, it unmistakably betrays God's complexity. Consider the creation account in Genesis, where God says, Let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness. Who is this us if God is one? Early church fathers saw this passage as a hint of the Trinity, a suggestion of a plural yet unified Godhead. However, because I'm also studying the doctrine of angels at the, at the moment, I think it's important to point out that some scholars like Michael Heiser argue that God is speaking to the divine council. Heiser says, quote, that language in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, isn't a cryptic reference to the Trinity. God is speaking to his heavenly host. He is sharing a decision with them, decreeing his will as it were, end quote. Whether we see the Trinity in Genesis 1.26 or not, we can trace this biblical doctrine elsewhere in Scripture. Recall our definition of the Trinity. God is one in essence, but exists eternally as three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Where do we see the oneness of God in the Old Testament? The, the oneness in essence? Well, first, there's a famous Shema of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is a foundational declaration of monotheism. We do not believe, as Christians, in three separate gods. The word for one, ekad, can, simp can imply a composite unity. It's the same word used to describe how a man and a woman become one flesh in marriage. In this passage, we have a glimpse in the shadows of three persons. It's not clearly stated, but in the word of Akkad, we it's alluded to us that there's three persons, and it's explicit to us that Israel's God is one. Now, the Father needs little treatment at this point, for most references to God in the Old Testament are synonymous with the Father. I'm willing to bet that when you read the Old Testament and you hear the word God or read the word God, you're thinking of God the Father. But what about the Son? One intriguing way we encounter the Son in the Old Testament is through passages that discuss the angel of the Lord or the angel of Yahweh. A simple survey of Old Testament verses shows us that the angel of Yahweh is at times identified as a messenger sent by Yahweh 
and at other times as Yahweh himself. In Exodus 23, 20 through 21, the angel of Yahweh is identified as a messenger of God. Quote, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. End quote. In other verses, such as Exodus 2, 3-4, the angel is identified as Yahweh. Quote, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. So the angel of the Lord is identified as Yahweh. Lastly, we should examine some Old Testament verses that faintly illuminate the person of the Spirit. We see the Spirit indwelling or descending upon people in the Old Testament, such as Joshua, such as Joshua in Numbers 27, 18, and David in 1 Samuel 16, 12 through 13. Significantly, the Spirit is mentioned in texts that prophesy a time when Yahweh's Spirit will be poured out on God's elect as found in the book of Ezekiel 36, 26 through 28, which reads, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. So here we see the spirit the third person of the, of the Trinity in the Old Testament. As we transition into the New Testament, the picture becomes clearer. Listen to these profound words from the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The gospel presents Jesus as the Son of God, distinct from the Father, yet fully God. And in John's gospel, Jesus speaks of the Father and of the Holy Spirit, promising that the Spirit will guide believers into all truth. There's even texts in the gospel like the baptism of Jesus where we see all three persons very clearly. The Father's voice from heaven, the Son being baptized, and the Spirit descending like a dove. Now, perhaps one of the clearest Trinitarian passages is the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus instructs his disciples to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Notice it's in the name, not names. It signifies a unified, distinct three-in-oneness. So in the New Testament, 
we have the shadows of the Trinity in the Old Testament fully revealed at the incarnation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are seen clearly. Jesus exegetes the Father and gives the Spirit. He explains the Father. He gives the Spirit. Paul and the other authors of the New Testament speak on this as well. What was once dimly lit in the Old Testament is now on full display for all to see. But what does all this mean? Why did the early church see these passages as revealing the Trinity? It's because they read scripture as a unified whole with Christ at the center. They saw the Old Testament as pointing towards the revelation of God in Jesus and the New Testament as the fulfillment of that revelation. The Trinity wasn't a latter invention, but an understanding that grew out of the early church's experience of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's important to remember that the Trinity is a mystery, something that ultimately transcends human understanding. But it's a mystery revealed in Scripture, inviting us to know and experience God more deeply. As we continue in the series, we'll show how the doctrine of the Trinity was further developed and defined in the history of the church. That's next week. Thank you for joining me for episode two of the Divine Discourses podcast. I hope today's exploration has deepened your understanding and appreciation of the biblical foundations of the Trinity. Join me next week for episode three, where we'll step into the early church's struggles and triumphs as they sought to articulate this doctrine. Until then, may your study of scripture be rich, your faith deep, and your understanding of God ever expanding. Support the podcast by rating on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you think it's worthy, give it five stars. You can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash divine discourses. On Patreon, you can engage in discussion, participate in the planning of episodes, uh, get early releases, and much more as the seasons pile up. In the future, I hope to have guests. And if you're subscribed to the Patreon, you can ask the guest questions, so on and so forth. So if you'd like to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com slash divine discourses. Talk to you next week. <laughs>